Good morning, church. Moms, for helping us find solutions to our own ideas about how to cut our hair, uh, to helping us navigate our own ideas for fashion, and our own ideas for room cleanliness, and who should be our friends, and what we should consider acceptable as grades, and all the while asking a gazillion times why. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your resilience. Thank you for not making good on your promise to slap us naked and hide our clothes. What, your mom didn't? Okay. Mom, we may not have always displayed it, but we saw more in you and we learned more from you than you will ever know. And so we really do say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. I have two daughters who call my wife mom, who in the last four months have become moms themselves. And I guarantee you, they are appreciating their mother more this Mother's Day than ever before. Because what a demanding, often thankless role. And so today, we're making a small effort to say thank you for all that you've done to raise kids to be amazing, God-honoring human beings. Now, for those who have been hoping to become a mother, and that blessing just simply hasn't come to you yet, and especially if there's been a miscarriage or two in the recent past, please know our hearts are with you. And we pray that God's blessing of a child will come to you soon. If you're a mother today who has had to bury a child, rather than having that child bury you, our hearts go out to you in a very unique way because you've experienced one of life's most unique losses and we're sorry. Neither of those childless realities can any mother ever see coming. Which is why this morning I want to take us back to talk about another mother from our spiritual family tree who never saw death coming for her only son either. Let me set the background. After Adam's son killed his brother Abel, and after Noah and his family endured a worldwide catastrophic flood, God says to a man and his wife who were close to retirement, Abraham and Sarah, I want you to go from your country. I want you to leave your people and your father's household to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. As a matter of fact, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. What a promise. Now, many of you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, but before they ever come to the center stage of God's story, years earlier in a place called Ur, <laughs> that was their hometown, uh, it may sound podunk, but I assure you that it was very metropolis like uh, Houston or Dallas. But these two were living uh, the young, successful couple's life. They enjoyed their split-level house and their three-camel garage, and like most couples, shared the dream of starting their own family. But week after week, month after month, year after year, this family never got started. We're not told how many trips that Sarah made to Walgreens to buy that pregnancy test, but that little line never appeared to Sarah. But God appeared to Abraham in his 70s when he and his wife all but assumed that their opportunity at having a child was over. God said, I'm going to enable you to have a family that will eventually grow so large, it'll be called a nation. God says, I'm going to give you so many ancestors for so many generations that you'll not be able to count them any more than you could count all the stars in the sky. Now, that was the good news of what God promised. The bad news is, 
God took 25 years to deliver on that promise. But when the time is right, when Sarah's 90 and Abraham is just months from being 100 years old, God said, it's time. Get the nursery ready. Choose the baby shower invitations. I am going to bless you with a healthy baby boy. <laughs> and Sarah, this wannabe mother, responded like I probably would respond. She laughed. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 18.10, the scripture records, So Sarah laughed silently. A woman my age having a baby? She scoffed. Come on. With a husband as old as mine, how is that possible? Now, Sarah would learn what many of you have learned, that with God, all things are possible. Amen? Sure enough, a son makes his debut nine months later, and they name him Laughter. In Hebrew, Isaac. And I don't know when it happened, whether she was bathing Isaac or whether she was feeding him or changing his diaper. But here's what Sarah had to say about giving birth at 90 years of age. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this is going to laugh, will laugh with me, not at me. Because who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. I love what John Ortberg says about this aged new mom and dad having this newborn baby. He said, Abraham and Sarah were the only two people at Walmart's buying Huggies and Depends. Well, while you're smiling, let me ask, what's God calling you to? What's God calling you to that lately you've laughed at? That maybe lately you've deemed impossible? That maybe you've said... God, I'm, I'm too old for that. I'm too poor for that. I'm too tired, too comfortable. I'm too cynical. I'm too young, too settled, too weak, too sick, too disabled to believe that you could enable me to get the degree or to get the job or to go on a mission trip or to talk to my neighbor about your son in my life. Surely you know my marriage is too broken or my reputation's too damaged, or my depression is too deep, or my addiction's too strong, or my doubts are too great. You use me, no way, to do anything of significance for you. Got the wrong person. Well, through this ragamuffin preacher, I just want to say this. God's asking you to believe that he could, and to take your cues from an old man and his bride for which God writes, I love this, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so your offspring shall be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead. How'd you like that stamped on your uh, visit to the doctor's office? Uh, good as dead. If you're alive in a couple of weeks, we'll be shocked. That's exactly what Abraham had stamped on his last checkup with the doc. Sarah didn't check out much better. Her womb was dead. And yet, Paul says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded God had the power to do what he had promised. You say, well, Jim, that's great for Abraham. I mean, God called him personally, talked to him personally. Yeah, he did. But that's not what Paul just amplified in that word we just read a few moments ago. No, it's not the way that we're called that matters. It's how we respond to that call that matters. You see, you may not have seen this coming this morning, this, this God calling you out, but I'm here to say again, he's calling you out. Heaven holds its breath, I assure you, to see what your response is gonna be. He's calling you out, sister. 
He's calling you out, brother. Don't take my word for it. Take God's. You see, to a group of folks who said yes to Jesus and his invitation to make him their savior, to a group of folks who had welcomed the Holy Spirit, who, who called themselves Christians, Paul says in Romans 8, 28, some words I know we've heard many, many times. We know that in all things, God works for the good, those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now lean in a minute. If you're a Christian, that's you, friend. He's called you. He's adopted you into his family. He's connected you to his body. He's built you into his living temple. He's grafted you into his family tree. He's enlisted you into his army. Whatever metaphor or analogy rings best with you, you're his. <laughs> you know he's been tapping you on the shoulder. You know he's been nudging you. You know he's been directing you. And today he's calling you out. He's calling you to do what you can't do unless he's working in you and through you, to use your gifts and talents and weaknesses and scars to help lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with, son, with his son, Jesus. Now, please know this. God didn't promise Abraham and Sarah a child, an answer to their prayers, so that they could enjoy the ideal family. No, God was more concerned about his family. And so he called them to be a part of something bigger than them, something they couldn't pull off on their own to see that that family came into fruition. Now, he's thrilled that Abraham and Sarah got to experience the joy of having a child. But the purpose is what I want to underscore. They were a part of the reality of leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. And that's what he's calling you to, friend. Now, to do that, you're going to need his help every bit as much as Abraham and Sarah needed it. You're going to need his provision. You're going to need his enabling to fulfill your calling. And friend, God is going to act in your life if you act in faith the way Abraham and Sarah did theirs. And you've heard me say this before. Faith is just this simple. It's believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. Say that with me wherever you're at. Faith is believing that what doesn't exist can exist because God exists. That's, that's as simple as I can, I can relay or think about what faith is. Abraham and Sarah believe just that. Someone who believed that their situation, remember, was as good as dead, actually believed that God was good for his promise and it was as good as done. But not just for them. Now, this entire book of the Bible that we know, this entire collection of stories is just one story after another of a God who calls his people and a God who enables his people and a God who tests his people. The Hebrew writer attempting to remind a church who had their world rocked like we've had ours lately. Oh, a church that was disoriented and a church that was discouraged. So much so that they were wondering if God really did still call people. Did he really enable people? To them, he says, yes, uh, but God's also going to test his people. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, here are some words that cause us all to take a little bit of a, a pause. By faith, Abraham, when tested by God, offered up his son as a sacrifice. Wow, this is a touchy point because there's a lot of people inside the church and out who don't agree with the fact or like the fact that God tests. Let me be clear, God doesn't tempt. James, Jesus' brother, is very clear about that. God, God can't be tempted, nor does he tempt, but he does test. Here's what he says in James 1.12. Be glad when you come under all trials and under all sorts of testing because that 
is the perfecting of your faith. Friend, God will never, ever tempt you with evil for the purposes of trying to entice you out of a relationship with him. He never wants to see any person in this world fail or fall. But Satan does. He exists to discourage and disable and destroy you, to distance you so far from God that you will actually believe there's no bridge made. There's no bridge that could be made, even by God, that could get me back. And so Satan's going to tempt you. He's going to entice you, but for the purpose of destruction and death. God, on the other hand, is going to test you for the purpose of discipleship in life. People say, well, why does he have to test? He knows our hearts anyway, right? Well, yeah, he does, but you don't. Teachers don't give tests for the student's benefit. Actually, they don't give tests for the teacher's benefit. They give them for the student. We all know that because you can claim that you're a doctoral level student because you've got the latest computer and you've attended all the classes and you studied for hours, but you can't lay claim to being a doctorate level student until you pass the tests, right? So friend, listen to me. There is no way of knowing if your faith is real, that it's valid until it's tested, unless it's challenged, unless it forces you to examine the reality of it in your life. So. God tests Abraham to see if his faith is valid. And it unfolds in a way that neither Abraham or Sarah, I can assure you, ever saw coming. In Genesis 22, we find one of the most difficult passages, I think, in all of the Bible for me personally. It's a passage that still to this day is difficult for me to get my head and my heart around. Fast forward 15, 20 years from the blowout celebration Abe and Sarah enjoyed, asking people to come rejoice with them over this sudden laughter that they had, had birthed into their life. When I'm sure on a day like any other day, God comes to Abraham and says, ah, we, we got to talk. <laughs> I can see Abraham saying, well, what's it going to be this time? Uh, are we off to Australia? Maybe have a little girl? God says, no. I'd like for you to take that handsome son of yours, Isaac, and I'd like for you to climb up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to kill him as an act of worship. Now, I don't know what was more difficult, hearing that as Isaac's father or having to tell Isaac's mother, Sarah. I asked Gail, <laughs> if she thought Abraham told Sarah what God had asked him to do before the event or after. And she said, I can guarantee it was after because if I had been Sarah, that boy and I would have been gone before the sun rose the next day. We don't know whether Abraham announced it to mom beforehand or after, but we do know this. The text says early, the very next day, Abraham was up and preparing to take Isaac up a mountain. And I just want to tell you, I don't know how long I'd have put that off. But again, early, the next day, Abraham wakes up with Isaac along with two other servants and he takes his knife, he takes his matches, he takes his wood, he takes his rope and they set off for a three-day journey, 40 miles to Mount Moriah. And I'm telling you, church, if that would have been me, if God would have asked that of me, I would have said, how in the world can you test me like this? But brother, faith isn't faith until it hurts, until it asks you to do something that's unreasonable until it looks illogical, until it's a decision that you wouldn't make, that only God in his wisdom could have made for you. Faith is trusting God when you can't see his way being the way to go. Faith is trusting the Lord when everything around you is crumbling. It is cheesecake to say that you believe. When the money's coming in, when things are going smooth, but I'm telling you, trust is found out when the rug gets jerked out from underneath you and the boss says, I am sorry, but you're on furlough. Well, the doctor says, I'm sorry, but we've done all that we can do. Or your mate says, I'm sorry, but you're just not enough for me anymore. James says in moments like that, remember if you can, 
that at this moment, even though you never saw this coming, your faith is being given an opportunity to mature and to grow and to become stronger, to see these moments as a test, not as a tragedy. That's never easy. And God knows that, which is why I think the Hebrew writer goes on and says, and I thank you for this, <laughs> just in case you're checking out right now saying, forget it. <laughs> Sorry, preach. Uh, this little Bible story of yours has gone way beyond me because there is no way I'm walking up any mountain to kill my child. Well, I'm with you. But let's see how well Abraham knew God. The writer says in 11, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac was killed, God was able to bring him back to life again. Let me see that again. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Now, this is the hinge part of the whole story, or it's really not worth preaching, and it's certainly not believing him. Abraham believed in his heart. Okay, God's asking me to do something that's outrageous. <laughs> He's asked me to do something that's illogical. But he believed God was going to do something to right that wrong, to right that. I, I, I don't get this. I don't understand this. Back in Genesis 22, the writer alludes to those same thoughts when he writes, on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance saying to his servant, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I are going to travel a little further and we will worship there. And then we will come right back. Now, how's that for faith? Abraham wasn't lying. He believed that when they went up there on that mountain and he drove that knife into Isaac, that God would somehow raise him back to life and the we that left would be the we that returned. Is that nuts or what? Is it any wonder why God would call this man the father of faith? Let's just see how God responds to that kind of faith. Let's read how the story ends. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. But Isaac spoke up and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, son Abraham replied, uh, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And I don't know how Abraham swallowed the lump to reply, but he did. Uh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there. He arranged the wood on it. And then he bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its, thorn, by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And it's just so easy to read that as just some story from some ancient literature. But these are real people who have an encounter with a real God and it shakes up their world and it changed ours forever. And friend, I just want to tell you, when God calls, still, he is going to enable, still. But even when he enables, he will test, still, you. And when you respond in faith, you will be called what Abraham was called, faithful and blessed. And I want to be numbered among those people. See, here in the testing of Abraham's faith is where Abraham's faith is made whole. The Hebrew writer commenting to all of us in Hebrews eleven sixteen 16 declares that such people like that, 
God is not ashamed to be called their God. Sister, it is not going to be our great achievements, our buildings, our bulging bank accounts, our baptisms that make God proud. But you want to know what absolutely takes his breath away? It is seeing you and your family stepping out in faith to believe that what doesn't exist can exist because your God exists and to do something, to attempt something, to try something through faith in him to make a difference in this world for him. I'm telling you, Jesus is living proof that doing that matters, not just Abraham, but Jesus. You remember God saying of him, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Well, why would he say that? Well, those of you who are Jesus followers know that have picked up on the parallels of this story of Abraham's sacrifice and the sacrifice our father God would make nearly 2,000 years later. Because many years later, we're going to encounter our father God and his only son setting out on a journey together. A journey that would also take three days up a mountain with a son carrying the wood of sacrifice on his back. And that father with a lump in his throat watches his son willingly lay down on the wood, taking on himself the role of the lamb of sacrifice and declaring, nobody takes this life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And then there's a crown of thorns that's placed on his head like a ram caught in a thicket. And this only son, this sacrificial lamb, offers himself as a sin substitute. Only this time, the sinless son dies and he's put to death by those of us who are sinful. And this time, the knife is in our hands. Why would the son agree to that? Why would he submit to a test like that? Because like Abraham, he reasoned that God could raise the dead. And he was right because he did. Now tell me, what won't he do for you when you place your faith in a God like that that has sent you on a similar mission like he did his son, like he did Abraham, like he does anyone who's a part of his family? What will he do to enable you to do whatever he's called you to do? Anything you need, if you really believe that, I can assure you, Satan's not going to like that because he certainly didn't see that coming today. Let's pray. God, it's difficult to have faith in you, not because of who you are, but because of who we are. We struggle with trusting even what we can see, let alone what we can't see. And that's on us because you have gone out of your way through the creation in this world, through the love that's unexplainable, sacrificial in this world, but especially in, in the person that we know, Jesus Christ, your son. It stuns us still that you would allow him to be the sacrifice for what we deserved and that he in faith would believe that doing that would still be raised back to life and again take his place beside you in heaven and that you would bring that heaven one day here for us who put their faith in you like Abraham did, like Sarah did. And so today, Father, on this Mother's Day, we're asking you to please help us to minimally have faith of a mother who can trust that that she's going to be okay when she begins to carry and birth a child that some way, somehow, she'll be able to do something she could never imagine possible through her body for the sake of this world. Father, help us to believe that you could do something similar in us, that you would birth in us the desire and the ability to do um, what you and your son dream we would do, and that is love people sacrificially to a point where they would want to be a part of your family. We need your help doing that. We need you to not just call us, but enable us and we realize that some tests are going to be involved, but we're, we're asking you, God, please pour out 
a response to us that enables others to see something that they didn't see coming. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.